This is True Self, a podcast about seeking to know who we really are using the language of astrology. I'm Laura Sweat. The last time we had an eclipse cycle in Sagittarius and Gemini was between 2011 and 2013. Just in the United States, our culture changed so much in those brief couple of years, it's hard to even contemplate now. We saw the birth of Occupy Wall Street and the Black Lives Matter movements. The whole concept of being woke entered the mainstream cultural lexicon. But it wasn't just us in the U.S. All around the world, protest movements were erupting, especially the Arab Spring, which saw protests, riots, and regime change across the Middle East in response to oppression and a low standard of living. These movements, both the Arab Spring and the movements that were happening here in the U.S., they were led by young people who were drawing attention to things that seemed obvious to them. And it really was an awakening. It was like we yawned and stretched and blinked and said, oh no, what is going on here? In the U.S., suddenly we were having big cultural conversations about wealth inequality and racial inequality and how privilege functions and about the hidden brutality we had tacitly accepted that, upon closer inspection, really did not seem at all acceptable. Weirdest of all, in all of these movements, there wasn't any apparent reason we hadn't been talking about these things before. Our eyes just opened. We woke up. So what was going on during that time? Why did it suddenly seem like things that a certain group of people had known were true for a very long time that the mainstream culture didn't see at all suddenly were able to be expressed, were able to be communicated in a way that people picked up on at a mass scale? Astrologically, we would say it has something to do with the eclipse cycle in Gemini and Sagittarius. The North Node was in Sagittarius, and the world was being pulled into the high notes of Sagittarius, which looks something like insisting on living honestly and accepting no compromise. On today's episode... We're thinking about the creative and energetic sign of Sagittarius, its personal traits of restless searching and honesty to a fault, and its larger representation of the human search for meaning and truth. We'll ask what it really means to quest for the capital T truth, the purpose and pitfalls of looking for something to believe in, and how these traits touch our own lives using our birth charts as a guide. And we'll start with exploring the way Sagittarius and Gemini work together as perfect opposites and complements to help us find meaning and share it with each other. The free philosophy, open-minded optimism, and opinionated ethos of Sagittarius, this week on True Self. tend to really love about the Sagittarius personality, things that are easy to appreciate. 
Sagittarius is an incredibly honest sign, an obsessively honest sign, possibly. It has an ethos, rules for how it's going to live that it doesn't break. Uh, Sagittarius has immense strength of character. It is courageous in following its idea of the truth. And these are things we can really, really appreciate in a Sagittarius personality. There are also some things that we tend to find very irritating about a Sagittarius personality. And those tend to center around a tendency to be very preachy or very arrogant in how uh, we discuss an idea or even get into an argument. I have a really outsized Sagittarius influence in my own chart, and every person in my life who has ever been truly furious at me has said exactly the same thing. It's something like, okay, sure, Laura, you're always right, aren't you? And when I was younger, I genuinely could not understand why they were mad at me because being right seemed like the point to me. And I thought, you know, why why would you be mad at me for being right? Wouldn't you be mad at me for being wrong? If you think I'm right, why are you mad? <laughs> and of course, as many of you listening now who uh, have perhaps more connection to your own sensitivity than I natively do, um, are thinking, you know, they weren't mad at me for being right. That's not what was going on. They were mad at me, first of all, for hammering a point like I was a lawyer in front of a jury, but also for not prioritizing the relationship or their feelings, not being aware of those factors in addition to this argument that I was making. The Sagittarius drive to find what's true is powerful and it can overshadow all of the other things that often come into consideration. It's the search for truth that is the driving force in a Sagittarius personality. And that may sound intellectual, but it really isn't. Our intellectual communicative side is reflected in our air sign placements, like Gemini, Sagittarius's sister sign. But Sagittarius is a fire sign. It's not an air sign, which means the drive to find truth that we find in Sagittarius is a creative drive, not an intellectual one. Sagittarius's reputation for traveling and looking for new adventure is actually that creative drive embodied. The SAG is looking to have new experiences they can incorporate into their understanding of the world when they're out there traveling and, and finding new things. Reading a lot, diving into Wikipedia holes, looking for new information that you can put together into a, a new way to frame out an issue, that's the intellectualized version of the same drive to travel and explore. Whether you're more of an adventuring SAG or a library SAG probably has to do with the other prominent elements in your chart. But regardless, it's important to understand that Sagittarius is lit up by its desire to create new frames to understand meaning from, to, to find truth as a creative process. And that can be, you know, fire is destructive. It can burn down everything else. There's a kind of madness Sagittarius can get into in pursuing this expansion, this growth, this broader understanding of the truth. One of the things you might notice about a Sagittarius 
is that they have kooky beliefs. Like they've drawn from all these different places and they've put those things together into a framework that is entirely their own. It's a view on the world that's completely unique to that individual. Our beliefs as Sagittariuses are always very individual. They are creations that we have made for ourselves. If someone is very, very good at that, though, they have a lot of skill in that, they might end up as a philosopher or a great thinker. We definitely associate the sign of Sagittarius with philosophy. In the lead up to this podcast, I started Googling philosophers and thinkers who I thought had Sagittarius placements, and I'm resisting the temptation now to just brag about how correct I was. (laughs) I got a lot of them, like, spot on. But just to briefly list Nietzsche, Sagittarius Moon, Einstein, Sagittarius Moon, Slavoj Zizek, Sagittarius Moon, Chomsky, Sagittarius Sun, Sagittarius Mercury, Sagittarius Ascendant, Camus, Isaac Newton, Sagittarius Mercury's. It's really a prominent placement for people who are making it their business to show people new ways to think about the reality of the world. So in the last episode, in the Gemini episode, which I haven't listened to again because I am so concerned that I didn't do well with it, what I was trying to wrestle with is the fact that truth is so relative and so unknowable for a human being. And when we're in the Gemini place of contemplating truth, we recognize that there are all these different ways that we can make meaning in the world, that we have choices about how we use that power to make meaning. And... Uh, you know, we basically rest in the unknowability of the nature of reality. In Sagittarius, on the other hand, we are obsessed with the truth. We're trying to find the truth. And so that's why this is a polarity, right? That's why these are opposite ends of the same thing, is that in Gemini, we're playing with meaning. We're just deciding what we think is true. And In Sagittarius, we are obsessively pursuing something that we can't really ever actually know, the highest truth, the greatest truth. And you can see why each of these signs, when they're on their own, they become unbalanced. Gemini without Sagittarius is completely without ethic. It doesn't care about anything like Uh, the real, right? It recognizes how flexible meaning is and it plays with that and there's no, nothing to ground it, nothing to ground it in an idea of what is real. (laughs) It's, It's making meaning without the real when you're in Gemini. But when you're in Sagittarius, you can get so obsessed with truth that you fail to understand that this is basically an unwinnable game. You cannot get to the absolute explanation, the total understanding of everything. It's not possible. So when you're all the way in Sagittarius without any Gemini, you can get uh, fundamentalist. You, You can get really rigid and obsessed with like absolutes that in the end just don't have any meaning. They're, they're not... They're not real. So this is the way Sagittarius and Gemini have to work together. 
In order to make meaning, you need some interest in truth. And in order to find truth, you need to be able to play with meaning. You need to be flexible and curious and adaptable. Because if you're not that, if you become rigid, you can become a conspiracy theorist, a cult member, a cult leader, um, <laughs> you know, any a fundamentalist, anybody who just insists that there is only one truth and that everybody needs to get on board with that single truth. When I think of Gemini without Sagittarius, I think of like just a huckster, a con artist, and also kind of a nihilist, somebody who just decides how he's going to make meaning and doesn't care about the consequences, has no grounding in any kind of ethic. And when I think of Sagittarius without Gemini, I think of a street preacher standing on the corner, red-faced, screaming into the street, holding a sign that says 99% of all Christians go to hell. It's like he is so committed to his idea of the truth that he has become completely blind to uh, not only the fact that what he believes is too rigid to encompass reality, but also to the fact that uh, it might actually be very harmful. So those two archetypes, the huckster and the street preacher, are what I think of when I think of the history of Gemini Sagittarius eclipses, particularly in the United States, which is where my focus tends to rest. Um, I'm going to start in 2001. That's the last eclipse cycle we had where the North Node was in Gemini and the South Node was in Sagittarius. 2011, which I talked about in the intro to 2013-ish, that was when the North Node was in Sagittarius. So we were being pulled into the kind of highest resonance of Sagittarius themes. In the upcoming eclipse cycle, it's back to what was going on in 2001. We're being drawn towards the highest resonance of Gemini themes, which means more curiosity, more flexibility, more willingness to communicate with each other as opposed to our focus on absolute rights and absolute truths, which arguably actually served us back in 2011 and 2013. So I want to be cautious in how I put this, but if you spend any time on Twitter, you might have noticed that some people whose hearts are truly in the right place, who are trying to do the right thing for the world, who believe that they are advancing the cause of truth and the cause of, of ethical treatment of each other, they sound a lot like the street preacher screaming into the street with the sign that says 99.9% .9 of all Christians go to hell, right? There's a tone that has come into our discourse, and it's always been there to some extent, but it, it seems to be getting more and more... Um, present, more and more obvious. It's this tone of, damn it, you have to listen to me. I will stand here and scream at you until you listen to me. And the problem with that attitude, of course, is that it doesn't work. I wonder all the time if street preachers have ever converted anyone 
at all because their method seems designed to turn people away. There's almost nothing less compelling than somebody screaming at you that you're going to hell. And a lot of our discourse about social issues has turned into that kind of a discourse. It's we're standing on the street corner screaming at each other that you are going to hell. Um, Metaphorically, right? (laughs) You are bad. You are wrong. You're the problem. But it's, it's the same tactic that the street preacher is using, and it is alarmingly ineffective. It doesn't actually seem to be about making actual change at all. It seems to be about self-righteousness and belief, a, a really immense need to believe in our own correctness, our own purity even. So I imagine these two figures on the street together, the street preacher and the huckster who's trying to get people's money by like smooth talking them and bamboozling them, right? And the huckster is so much more effective than the street preacher. He has no ethic guiding him. All he wants to do is take your money and run, but he's paying attention to you, to how to talk to you, to how to frame things in a way that you're going to respond to. You know, arguably, the street preacher might care about you more. He at least cares about your soul in some sense. He has some concern for you, but he's so blinded by his rage at your noncompliance with his idea of the truth. And he's so focused on his righteousness that he doesn't care about communicating with you at all. Whereas the con artist, he cares about communicating with you because he wants to take advantage of you. And so I think about what could happen for these two people if they could somehow merge consciousnesses. And the street preacher could suddenly have awareness that he's doing things in the wrong way if he wants to actually effect change, that there's a selfishness or even a uh, uh, ego mania to the way that he's approaching his task. And that if he adopts the skills he has now that he's merged with the huckster in concentrating on what people need to hear, in paying attention to them, in being aware of where the opportunities are to communicate what he knows. And then the huckster, likewise, now he's He's got this awareness of this idea of what is right for the world and of caring about what is right for the world. I'm not saying that the street preacher's ideology is one I would recommend we all adopt, but, you know, he's got that fire in him of, like, finding the truth now, and that guides his skill in connecting to what people want to hear, what people need to hear, his skill in communicating. So back to the eclipses. If we start in 2001, you can start much earlier, of course, but 2001 was the last time we had the North Node in Gemini and the South Node in Sagittarius. Actually, when September 11th, when the events of September 11th happened, uh, the nodes were in Capricorn and Cancer, as they are right now, and then they shifted into Gemini and Sagittarius later in the year. So we're actually right this minute in a period of time that's almost identical in terms of the nodes to where we were when the attacks of September 11th happened. And 
the emergency we're facing now, of course, is not a terrorist attack. It is a disease that has us quarantined in our homes. We have a similar sense of being rocked from our foundation of of having the entire world change, of not really believing the reality we find ourselves in, of being shook. We're heading into a period of time where the people who make meaning in our culture, the media and the politicians and everybody who gets to say something about what this means, they're all going to be telling us how to frame it, how to think about it. Uh, After September 11th, we had a lot of people telling us that it was about um, coming together as a country, that the meaning of the event was about all of us, you know, sort of swelling in pride at being Americans and committing ourselves to uh, avenging the people who died. And a lot of people bought into that, way more people um, than just the conservative, right? You know, it was a compelling message at that time. And because of that, we went to war with a country we had no business going to war with. We were kind of bamboozled into it um, because of that need to create an emotionally resonant meaning out of a very confusing situation. And to get to that Sagittarius hunger for truth as quickly as possible. So I think about that as we're going into this cycle from the perspective of having been sidelined by the coronavirus. What meaning are we being handed? What are people telling us this means? They're not all the way in it yet. We, we haven't started the cycle yet, but when the summer comes and we head into the next couple of years, we're going to be really uh, swimming in people telling us what this means, what it's about. And then we're going to be able to make some choices about where we go with that and who we follow. I think we were so vulnerable in 2001 to being sidelined into a war (laughs) because the events were so confusing, we were so caught off guard, and we wanted it to mean something pretty, something that we could uh, attach ourselves to instead of just being scared half to death. And that's going to come up again. You know, even if you don't believe in astrology, you can tell it's going to come up again. And there's ways that we can prepare ourselves for it that will help us to avoid the kind of outcome that that came from 2001 and going to war with Iraq and Afghanistan. The message of the North Node in Gemini and the South Node in Sagittarius is to step away from fundamentalism, step away from absolutes, and move towards effectively communicating with other people, getting other people in your corner and on your side. We all need to get a little more charming, a little more focused on bringing people into our understanding of the truth, and even of listening in that way that you are 
much more compelling to another human being when you're listening to them than when you're just talking at them. You know, in 2001, there was much more of a media gatekeeping quality to the way that we received information. And now we all have the ability to be the ones who make meaning for each other. It's much that that meaning making quality is much more distributed among us than it was uh, when September 11th happened. And so there's this possibility of looking to be compelling, seeing being compelling as a value in and of itself, understanding self-righteousness as a kind of indulgence that we can't afford if we're going to take care of ourselves, if we're going to save ourselves. If we can balance our Gemini and our Sagittarius, if we can balance our huckster and our street preacher, and we can bring the skills we have in communicating to bear on the urgent truths we need to tell each other, we might walk out of this eclipse cycle with a new understanding of the truth, a collective understanding of the truth that humanity desperately needs. And that is my hope for us, uh, of course. <laughs> okay, so let's get into how the sign of Sagittarius characterizes your own life using your birth chart as a guide. And we'll also talk a little bit again about how these eclipses are going to affect that part of your life. a guide to this part of the podcast where you can track the signs that we're talking about in your own chart, you can go to my website, which is 8th.house, that's numeral 8, T-H dot H-O-U-S-E, backslash true dash self. Or you can just go to 8th.house and click over to the True Self Podcast and you'll find it there. I want to make a note about Sagittarius and the ninth house before we start on this section, because as I was kind of going through and making little notes about what I would say about each sign, I realized that more than I do with other signs, I really equate a lot of the themes of Sagittarius to the ninth house. So to reiterate, signs are about the characteristics and traits of life and houses in our birth chart about the areas of our life that are affected. But there are overlapping themes between signs and houses. There are overlapping themes between the first house of identity and the sign of Aries. There are overlapping themes between the second house of worth and value and the sign of Taurus, and so on and so forth. And so Sagittarius is the ninth house at the ninth sign, <laughs> and there are overlapping themes between how we think about the sign of Sagittarius and how we think about the ninth house, which characterizes the way that we grow in life and how we seek out growth. And so I notice that as I go through the signs, I tend to say your sense of expansion and growth, which is your Sagittarius, 
emerges in this part of your life, your identity, your sense of self-worth. But that could potentially get kind of confusing because it's uh, it's also a theme that you see popping up in your ninth house. So I basically just want to go ahead and acknowledge that themes I talk about as I go through Sagittarius are going to have some kind of relationship to the way I describe your ninth house also. If you're in Aries, that relationship is quite literal because Sagittarius is your ninth house. Um, anyway, I just wanted to clear that up. There are astrologers who talk about signs and houses as if they can mean the same thing. So they'll say Sagittarius or ninth house, Aries or first house. I don't like to do that because it it does make it muddy how we interpret our charts and there's value to understanding the difference between a sign and a house. And yet there is overlap and you will hear me talking in the overlap as I go through this description. The other thing I want to say before we get started, is that I haven't talked about the sign rulership of Sagittarius at all so far. I kind of left out discussing Jupiter. And I don't have a lot of time at this point to get deep into Jupiter. I plan to do that in a future episode. But let me just give you a quick primer on Jupiter. There are two planets that rule the mutable signs. Mercury rules Gemini and Virgo, Jupiter rules Sagittarius and Pisces. This is in classical, traditional astrology, which is what I tend to work in for rulership. Jupiter in uh, ancient Latin, proto-Latin, means sky father, and it's the name for the god that we call Zeus in Greek mythology, and Under the name of Jupiter, all kinds of different sky gods have been synchronized into this sort of single Western concept that we go back to when we talk about Jupiter. Jupiter has the optimism and generosity of like a kindly grandfather and also owns the law and absolute truth. He is generous and harsh, and honestly, a character that deserves a deeper explanation than I can give today. But when we're talking about Sagittarius, we're talking about the aspect of Jupiter that seeks truth and seeks, frankly, the law. Um, Even though we don't think of Sagittarius as a rule-following sign, which it isn't really, it's more of a rule-making sign, which goes along with the character of Jupiter. Jupiter is the god that makes the rules, not necessarily the god that follows them. So so it goes with Sagittarius. All right, I think we're ready to get started now. Let's get into it. If you're a Sagittarius or a Sagittarius rising, your first house, which is your house of identity, sense of self, the way you're perceived, and the way you come into situations, is characterized by the traits of Sagittarius, meaning you are adventurous, maybe a little reckless, probably restless, and you're always looking to have a new experience or learn something new. 
as I mentioned before, this can show up in different ways in different people. There are people who have a very embodied experience of their Sagittarius, where they're going out and physically experiencing new things that they incorporate into their understanding of the world. And then there are people who have a little more of an intellectualized Sagittarius. They're thinking and thinking and thinking about things, turning them over, uh, creating new perspectives. You're probably pretty good-natured. I hesitate to call Sagittarius chill. I've said that before, but I don't think Sagittarius is a chill sign. I think it's a very excitable, active sign. If we're Sagittariuses who can be chill, we probably owe that to another part of our chart. But I do know that it's a sign that generally accepts people as they are, uh, wants to have a good time, isn't looking for anything to get ugly. And in fact, sometimes Sagittarius can be so good-natured and anticipating other people to be as uh, kind of non-judgmental as they are that they uh, overestimate the goodwill that they have with others. Now, when I say non-judgmental, there's definitely an aspect of the Sagittarius first house character that is, uh, you know thinks it's correct and is concerned with sort of the process that people use to get to the things that they believe. But there's also a sense of like, if you believe something strongly, I'm interested in that, even if I don't agree with it. I I appreciate people believing things strongly, whether it's my thing or not. That That's a very Sagittarian first house kind of a trait. The eclipse that's coming up on June 5th, is a Sagittarius lunar eclipse, which means the sun will be in Gemini and the moon will be in Sagittarius. That means that you're going to have this kind of full moon eclipse in your sense of identity and also in your house of partnerships. Expect to have something set off. You won't really see the results of it for at least six months, probably, and maybe longer. But a, a story is going to start about how you relate to your own identity and the things that you need to let go of that you have maybe allowed to get rigid or too, um, you know, fanatical. Since the South Node is in Sagittarius, these eclipses are going to be things that allow you to let go of things in your identity and sort of shed what's not working anymore. And so the eclipse on June 5th is the first time you're going to encounter that effect as we go through this cycle. If you're a Scorpio or Scorpio rising, Sagittarius characterizes your second house of self-worth and value, and also of money. So... A second house characterized by the energy of Sagittarius means, first of all, that you might find your sense of worth in your ability to put things together, to explore, to think about things in a different way. Um, I think about with Scorpio, a kind of self-worth that lies in the ability to find a philosophy, find an ethic. And I also think about the fact that for Scorpio, growth, the Sagittarius growth, is 
in this house that has a lot to do with money. So when you apply the Sagittarian generosity and kind of looseness and exploration to the house that has to do with your money, there can be a kind of excessive generosity with giving away money. There can be a struggle to hang on to money or money seems like this philosophical instead of real concept. I feel like we encounter where Scorpio gives too much of itself in this second house Sagittarius vibe. It's like it's a philosophical thing more than it's a real thing to a Scorpio and it can lead to some kind of leakage in the the money area for a Scorpio rising. You're going to have the upcoming eclipse in your second house of self-worth and value. And this eclipse cycle is going to be affecting that house and your house of uh, birth, death, and transformation. So you can expect in this eclipse cycle to be having a real transformation and a real letting go of things about your sense of how you value yourself and even how you relate to money that are no longer working. And because that's a Sagittarius character, think about places where your beliefs are holding you back, where you're too rigid. That's the kind of stuff you're going to be letting go of and stretching towards more of that uh, thoughtful, communicative, meaning-making energy of Gemini in your ninth house. If you're a Libra or Libra rising, Sagittarius characterizes your third house, which is the house of your daily communication. And we think about it as sort of the little rabbit trails you go through in your day-to-day life. You go to the grocery store, you go to the bank, you go to work, you're talking to people as you go through these cycles. It's the conversations you're having on a day-to-day level and the places you're going on a day-to-day basis. I don't think I've said this on the podcast before, but the third house is also known as the house of the goddess, where the ninth house is the house of the god. So we can think of the third house as representing daily ritual too. The third house would be daily ritual. The ninth house would be like religion or like the deep spiritual texts, right? And I think that might be a little easier to relate to when it comes to the Sagittarius third house for Libra because there's a way in which Libra finds its growth and its expansion into truth and like higher truth in its day-to-day ritual and the stuff it does every single day. Um, And Libra can connect to that kind of, you know, deeper meaning and kind of like divinity really in its sense of ritual. As a Libra or Libra rising, the upcoming eclipse in June is going to be happening in this third house, which has to do with your daily communication and also with your sense of daily structure and that that ritual meaning. And so there's going to be ways in which you're letting go of any rigidity or stuckness in your ideas of what's right and what you should be doing in this part of your life, and then moving towards uh, more curiosity and fluidity in the way that this part of your life works. So you could see some real changes over the next uh, many years in the way that your day-to-day life is structured. 
and who you talk to every day. If you're a Virgo or Virgo rising, Sagittarius characterizes your fourth house of home, origins, family, and roots. This usually means that a Virgo, Virgo rising, had an experience of home and family life where the parents were really concerned with the nature of reality and the truth, and the parents had some kind of real Sagittarian traits or qualities that were prominent in this person's early life. Um, This can look like a very freewheeling type of Sagittarius parent, somebody who wasn't very structured, um, was very loose and fun-loving, but it can also look like a parent who was very rigid in their beliefs and kind of a fundamentalist. Really, both of those sides of Sagittarius can show up in the Virgo fourth house. We definitely can see that the Sagittarian concern with absolute rights and absolute wrongs ends up affecting both Virgo's perfectionism in their identity and then the way that they show up in the world as people who are interested in playing with meaning and helping people to construct meaning as opposed to people who are obsessed with absolute truth. If you're a Virgo or Virgo rising, the upcoming eclipse in June is going to start with the Sagittarius moon in your fourth house of family roots and origins. And that means you're going to be letting go of some kind of rigid idea of right and wrong in the way you think about where you come from, the way you think about home, the way you think about your family. This is a big shift that you're stepping into, and it's ultimately going to affect not only the way you relate to your roots and your origins, but also the way you show up in the world and your career. If you're a Leo or Leo rising, Sagittarius characterizes your fifth house of creativity, expression, sexuality, and fun. A Sagittarius fifth house means that your self-expression is where you find your sense of growth and your sense of expansion. Makes total sense for a Leo to find their sense of higher truth in the way that they express themselves and the way that their identity shows up. The upcoming eclipse, however, is going to be starting in this house and you're going to find yourself releasing some kind of rigid belief about how you are supposed to express yourself or how your sexuality functions or how your creativity functions, some kind of letting go or shedding of something, probably a belief is going to be happening in that part of your life. Over the next several years, as the eclipses happen in Sagittarius and Gemini, you're going to be experiencing changes not only in that part of you that is about self-expression, but also in the part of your life that has to do with your community and your social circle and the types of people you surround yourself with. If you're a Cancer or Cancer Rising, Sagittarius characterizes your sixth house of service and of your habits, your everyday habits that end up adding up to your overall health, like exercising or smoking, that kind of stuff. So to have Sagittarius characterizing your sixth house, 
means that you experience expansion and growth in service, in your sense of service. So we often see people's employment show up in their sixth house because that's a place where we are in service to another person's uh, desires, basically. But the sixth house is any way that we serve other people. And so it's very intuitive for me that cancer experiences its growth into the higher meaning of life and kind of deepest truths. Cancer experiences that in service to others. That makes a lot of sense because cancer is always trying to connect to people and take care of people. And that's the most resonant meaning of this house to me when it comes to cancer. But I can also say that this means that Sagittarius energy affects the way that you form habits. So you might be little restless, little flighty, little, um, you know, jumping from thing to thing, looking for the real thing that's going to help you form a habit. Um, And you also might find that in your work relationships or your, your work environment as a Cancer, you are in this place of kind of constantly exploring and growing and building on what you knew yesterday, that kind of stuff. That can be the Sagittarius character in the sixth house. The upcoming eclipse in June is going to be happening in this sixth house of how you are in service to others, uh, your employment, your daily habits. And that means you're going to be shedding some kind of belief that has become too rigid or some kind of sense of right and wrong in those areas, in the way you're of service to others, the way you form habits, all that kind of stuff. As the eclipse cycle unfolds, you're going to be experiencing major changes, both in the part of your life that's about service and habit, and also in the part of your life that is about your unconscious and uh, the way you're getting rewired for a new part of your life. So it'll probably be easiest for you, Cancer, to see the effects of this eclipse cycle in your work environment and the way you find yourself in service to others and your habits. But another thing is going to be going on that's really deep that might be a lot harder to get your arms around as well. And that'll be happening in the Gemini part of your chart. If you're a Gemini or Gemini rising, Sagittarius characterizes your seventh house of partnerships and intimate relationships. This is a pretty important one for you too. It means loosely that you tend to identify more with the Gemini traits of being good with words, being clever, playing with meaning, and maybe you identify a little less with seeking an absolute truth or an ethical moral, right, or good, but you probably tend to find those traits in the people you form intimate relationships with. You may really like people who have a definite sense of morality and what they think is right and wrong, even though you might shy away from that a little bit more. As a Gemini or Gemini rising, you do experience a ton of growth and a lot of higher truth in the way that you relate to the people you're closest to in your closest friendships and your closest partnerships. I haven't talked about this a lot so far, but both Gemini and Sagittarius tend to be restless enough to have sometimes problems with long-term commitments or not 
they might not be super interested in monogamous relationships all the time. Depends on what else you have going on. But at the same time, there is this completion that Gemini energy finds in Sagittarius energy. This way that the search for an ethical truth can ground you as a Gemini in your fun with meaning kind of orientation. And you probably really deeply appreciate people who are looking for a moral good or a moral right. The upcoming eclipse in Sagittarius is going to be highlighting both your identity and the way you relate to your closest partners in your intimate relationships. And because the South Node is in the partnership house, you're going to be letting go of or dropping some kind of idea about what is right and wrong in the way you relate to people, Um, just any kind of rigid belief that you've been hanging on to in this part of your life, it's going to start to slough away. Um, Eclipses take at least six months to unfold, often longer than that, and we don't really see the full global impact of an eclipse cycle until like nine years later. So there can be a long tail on them. But typically, you're going to start to see the effects of an eclipse about six months after it happens, and then it keeps unfolding over time. So June is just the beginning of a big shift for you, not only in the way that you relate to other people, but also in the way you think of yourself and your own identity. You're going to be stretching towards some cool, new, interesting insights about your identity and yourself and letting go of some ideas you've had about your partnerships and your relationships during this time. If you're a Taurus or a Taurus rising, Sagittarius characterizes your eighth house of birth, death, and transformation. This is an orientation... It's where Taurus gets a little dark. Taurus finds its greatest sense of growth and its sense of highest meaning and purpose in the way that it dies to its old selves and it is reborn. Some of the strength of Taurus is in its Sagittarius 8th house because um, being able to experience higher truth, higher spiritual truth, through the toughest parts of life where you let go of an old self and you make contact with a new self, that's part of what makes Taurus so sort of um, unflappable, I'm going to say, is is that uh, growth experienced through death, basically. Metaphorical death. Uh, Sometimes literal, mostly metaphorical. The upcoming eclipse cycle is going to see Tauruses letting go of beliefs they have about how they're supposed to change or how they're supposed to grow. I imagine, although I'm not sure this is the way it will play out, I imagine that perhaps we have been maybe overdoing it on our death and rebirth, too focused on it, or maybe... We have some ideas about how it's supposed to work, what we're supposed to let go of, um, that we have to let go of. (laughs) But regardless, with the South Node in Sagittarius, something about our ability to heal ourselves 
and our idea of how that's supposed to work is going to need to change and we're going to start letting go of what's not working there anymore. Through the eclipse cycle over the next few years, we're going to be experiencing changes in that part of our lives and also in the part of our lives that shows us how we value ourselves and perceive our value to other people. And there are changes in the way that we make money that are also indicated in this shift. If you've been thinking about making money for yourself in a way that you haven't to this point, this eclipse cycle is a time when that really might start happening because the North Node is pushing you in the direction of doing it for yourself and not uh, leaning on other people. If you're in Aries or Aries rising, Sagittarius characterizes your ninth house of growth and expansion and travel. And Sagittarius, of course, is a sign that is about growth and expansion and travel. So, you know, on the surface, that means that the way that you experience a higher truth and expanding your horizons and learning new things is through this sign that is focused on those things. But we can also talk about how this eclipse cycle is going to be affecting you, Aries. That's something that might be a little more interesting here. So the south node is going to be in your house of travel and expansion and growth. And so as the eclipse cycle starts in June, you're going to be letting go of some idea you've had or some belief set you've had about the way that you um, need to learn new things and travel and grow. I see this as Aries potentially going through a change in the way they're oriented towards um, travel and higher learning. So we might see Aries uh, coming out of this eclipse cycle and they're, they've decided they're going to go to grad school or that they're going to move to a totally new place. Or you might see some areas coming out of this cycle realizing that they need to get out of grad school or they need to stop moving around so much, right? It kind of depends on what you're doing right now, but there's probably going to be some kind of shift. Something is going to be let go of in this part of your life. And with Sagittarius, we particularly are thinking about beliefs or rigid ideas of what is true and what is right and moral. Those are the kinds of things you're going to be letting go of in this part of your life that's about how you expand, travel, uh, learn new things, all that kind of stuff. So again, we often see higher education and international travel in this part of your life, but there's a lot of things that can come up here. Um, publishing is an example. Uh, just putting your ideas out into the world comes up in the ninth house. So there might be a shift in that as well for Aries. And through the eclipse cycle, you're going to ex experience letting go of some rigid beliefs in that ninth house part of your life that's about travel, higher learning, publishing, but then you're going to be moving towards some new understanding in the part of your life that's about daily ritual, um, the people you talk to every day, the conversations you have every day. And you might find that you're moving towards maybe something that's a little more focused 
in the part of your life that's about the people you talk to every day and your daily rituals. If you're a Pisces or a Pisces rising, Sagittarius characterizes your 10th house of career and reputation. Pisces is the other Jupiter-ruled sign, and when I was talking earlier in the podcast about how lots of philosophers have Sagittarius placements, it's basically like half of them have strong Sagittarius placements and half of them have strong Pisces placements. Um, The Jupiter-ruled signs are the ones that are interested in the ultimate nature of reality. They go about it differently, but that is our business, and so when you're a Pisces or a Pisces rising, Sagittarius shows up in your reputation and the way that you're seen on a broader scale. The mark that you leave on the world happens in this realm of looking for higher truths and searching out the deepest moral goods. As a Pisces or Pisces rising, the eclipse cycle that's coming up is going to be helping you let go of something in your reputation, the way you're seen in the world, and your career. And it's going to be stretching you towards some new understanding of your home and your roots and your origins. That's the Gemini part of the cycle. So with the upcoming eclipse on June 5th, you're going to get the first taste of what you're letting go of in your career and in the fruits of your existence here on earth. You're going to be releasing some idea of what that's supposed to be. Some belief you have about it is going to start coming down. If you're an Aquarius or an Aquarius rising, Sagittarius characterizes your 11th house of social circle and community. This means that you might find a lot of Sagittarian people in your social circle and community. You might have a lot of people who are concerned with right and wrong, people who are looking for the absolute moral good, and you like to hang out with people like that as well. It also means that you are fitting into a group often based on your own ethical sense. Aquarius itself is a sign that concerns itself with right and wrong in a different way than Sagittarius does. I said earlier in the podcast, the Sagittarius drive for understanding moral truth is creative. The Aquarian drive for understanding moral truth is, in fact, intellectual. And so there's a difference. Aquarius is much cooler, much more removed. Sagittarius is much more excitable and... uh, even sort of less cautious in the way it puts together information. But you find yourself in community with people like that, and you can fit into a community from that part of yourself, the part of you that's excited to put together truths and create new frameworks of meaning. The eclipse that's coming up for Aquarius is going to be allowing you to let go of something that's not working about the way that you fit into a social circle, or a community. It's going to shed a rigid belief or a rigid idea you have about what's supposed to happen in your relationship to a community, and it's going to be stretching you towards your own self-expression and your own creativity in Gemini as we go through the eclipse cycle. 
Finally, if you're a Capricorn or a Capricorn rising, Sagittarius characterizes your 12th house of the unseen, the karmic past, and the connection to the collective unconscious. Having a sign characterize our 12th house means that often we have a little trouble with that sign. We might have trouble articulating what that sign means to us. It usually forms the basis of our unconscious operations and we end up seeing it play out in our first house of identity, but that's a very difficult thing to understand. And so basically for Capricorn and Capricorn rising, as this eclipse comes up in Sagittarius, the first thing that's going to happen is something is going to be getting released in your unconscious. There's going to be some kind of uh, almost like like a, a drain opening up, you're going to feel something kind of flowing out of you. Now, some of you might end up having a little bit of a grasp on that. It may be an unconscious, a a previously unconscious rigid belief that you've been hanging on to that starts to get chipped away at, or it may be um, something that you never quite articulate that just starts breaking down within you. But you should feel something shifting, even if you can't totally articulate it when this eclipse happens in June and through the eclipse cycle in Gemini and Sagittarius. What you're being pulled toward as a Capricorn and Capricorn rising is a new way to relate to your daily habits and the way that you are in service to other people. And that is going to be the part that's probably a little easier to talk about than the part that's happening in your Sagittarius 12th house. All right, that is it for the podcast today. I want to leave you with just a brief note, which is keep an eye on your rigid beliefs the stuff that you want to stick to as absolutely right and absolutely wrong and start to get curious about how you might share what you believe with other people in a way that's compelling and that isn't preaching at them from a street corner because we're all going to need to be thinking about that as we come up on this next phase of our collective evolution as a species. Thank you so much for listening. Please rate the podcast on Apple Podcasts if you can. That helps me so much as I'm getting started. And take care of yourself. And you can find show notes on my website at 8th.house. That's numeral 8th.house. Thanks so much. I'll talk to you next week. Bye.